Thanks, it's good to be here. Um, it was actually very interesting pulling into the parking lot because um, I kind of had a flashback for a moment. I saw your trailer out here that had the church name on it. And that trailer, I'll show you our connection. That trailer was the trailer we used at a church plant I did back from 1999 through 2006. And we actually sold that trailer and a lot of its contents to you. That's kind of weird. So there was this moment, it's like, wait, that's our trailer. And I actually preached at SFC probably in 2007 when you were still at the school over here, right? Um, so it's good to be back. Uh, it's always interesting to come into the middle of a series that other people are teaching. So we're doing this. Can you, can you jump into it? Well, sure. I mean, it's, it's the Bible. We work together and we, we learn things together about uh, this series. So I'm really glad to be here um, with you this morning. Anybody remember flannel boards? flannel graphs, like you ever have those in elementary school, in Sunday school class, preschool, right? The, the piece of flannel and then you have these little cutout figures and your teacher would tell the story and, and at Sunday school it would be the Bible story with flannel graph, right? And there were these little static papers that would stick to the thing and they'd tell the story. And they all had a very particular feel to them because these were stiff little maybe two-dimensional characters on a flannel board, right? And so the, the, the standards where you have a picture of, let's say, in, in, in the story we're going to do today, which is a very well-known story about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, if we put ourselves into the flannel board mode, uh, we have the little paper cut out of Jesus, and we have a little paper cut out of a, of a tomb, right? And, and we have uh, the sisters of Lazarus, Mary and, and Martha, and they're here, and Jesus walks along, and the teacher would do this and put them on the floor board, right? And we see the tomb, and, and that same tomb would, about two weeks later, be the Easter tomb, right? Because it's, it's the standard tomb. So, so um, we have Jesus come, and they're sad, and they're crying. And then it says Jesus cried, and then he went to the tomb and said, Lazarus, come out! And then we have this Lazarus paper figure work his way across and stick there. And all the people who are crying now are happy, and they go, yay! That's kind of the story in flannel, book, flannel board form, right? And as somebody who loves Monty Python, I want to say, and there was much rejoicing. Yeah, yeah. At least there are a few. So, so we have the flannel board form, and, the, and it teaches truth. It teaches a story that really happened, but it's kind of a stiff paper, two-dimensional story of a flat Jesus on a flat board. And the real story of, of Jesus raising Lazarus and everything that happened around that is an incredible story. In fact, it's one in some ways it's hard for us to connect with because we can't even imagine someone who is dead coming back to life. Well, we have the other miracles of Jesus where we look and his first miracle in the book of John was where he turned water into wine at a wedding ceremony. And we go, wow, that's amazing. And we have stories of him healing people, touching the, the blind man he can see again, helping people hear again. We, we picture that and go, well, healing is one thing, but death. How did somebody who was dead come back to life? I, I can't even go there in my mind. But it's a story that we believe is absolutely true. And there's a, a lot to learn in it for us. And we're going we're to look at that story and figure out what it is that we learn about Jesus. So uh, John chapter 11, and we're going to, uh, the, the whole story covers the whole chapter, basically. We're going to look at a portion in the middle, but it's a little bit lengthy, but, but hang on with me, and we'll, we'll zip through the passage and then and figure out what we do with it. Starting with uh, chapter 17, it says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Just a, a quick little note. 
Uh, that four days is important in this story because the, uh, the Jewish belief at that time was that the, the soul or the spirit of a person would kind of hang around the body for three days in case something could happen that was miraculous. But once three days had passed and the body started to decompose, the, the soul went away and that was it. That was, that was kind of the general belief. So four days is basically John telling us in this story that, yeah, this guy was really, really dead. Okay, not that there are degrees of dead, but he was dead. Bethany, which is where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived, was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews would come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. There's a lot more going on here than the paper cutouts on the flannel board of Jesus talking to the women and then them showing the tomb, calling Lazarus come out. Those are true things. But the depth of the story has way more implications for us than that. First, I think the story of Lazarus reveals a whole lot about Jesus. It paints a theological picture about things we know about Jesus. This isn't really a story about Lazarus. It's a story about Jesus. First, it tells us, and we learn that Jesus works in concrete ways not merely in mystical symbolism. 
John has gone to great lengths through this entire book of John to paint the picture of who Jesus is. Who Jesus, as he refers to him, the Word. God himself. Jesus, it says at the beginning, the Word became flesh. We know the Word is referring to Jesus. The Word became flesh and what? Dwelt among us. A paraphrase of Eugene Peterson called The Message says, the Word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. The God of the universe, the creator and sustainer of all, the one who holds the world together, became a man. Historically, concretely, working and living among people. Fully God, yet fully man. This incredible picture of concrete action. And, and John goes once again to great length to talk about how Jesus, fully God, yet fully man, walking this earth in history, in time, having relationships with people, did very specific concrete things. He wasn't merely an enlightened teacher that said, well, as Jesus said, and didn't prove it. And John says, Jesus said he is the light. And instead of just leaving that out in some mystical, symbolic way, he says he's the light and he touched a blind man so he could see. Jesus healed people. He gave food to those who were hungry. He did actual, tangible things. He had real-life relationships with people in that community, in that little part of the world. People, in this case, that they said he loved very much. People who knew him well, and he knew them well. These were his close friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. In fact, he probably, as we learn from Luke and other passages, this was probably in Bethany was his his kind of home base kind of thing for when he was in Jerusalem. He sat here just two miles away, and he stayed with them in their houses. He knew them well. He did things in a concrete way. He just wasn't some glorified teacher that, that gave uh, great statements that people believed in and held on to. He took those and he put them into action. He's God incarnate, God with us. And that meant literal, concrete things that took place in time and space and history. That's a huge thing to know about Jesus. He works in concrete ways, not merely in symbolism. Well, second, we learned in this story that that Jesus expresses honest emotion. He was not detached from the things of the world around him. No, as fully human, he was right there with people, and it was emotional. He lived that in a large way. And we miss that in the flannel board version. Where he comes and the people are sad, and he, he says he wept. I mean, that's the, the verse, the first verse. If you're always struggling and saying, I don't know how to memorize Bible verses, start with this one, right? The shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Right, But the word weeping, not in that case, but the one when it says that the, that the women came, Mary and Martha, they were weeping when they came to him. You cannot stick in your mind and say, well, this is weeping as in just a gentle sobbing. If we watch any stories on the news that take place in the Middle East when there's a funeral, when there's anything that happens, a tragedy, it is not simple, quiet weeping. This is loud. It's cacophony, it's wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's big and it's mournful and it's sorrowful. So when these people came out to see Jesus, as they were weeping, it was loud. It was enormous. It was not some person in the corner going, it's big. And we have another passage that we really lose the substance of in here when it says, when he saw her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. 
This is not a statement of, well, he just stood there with resolve and it really bothered him that they were in a hard place. The word used here to talk about deeply moved is in classical Greek, the idea of the sound a horse makes when it's snorting in a race or in war. So think about when you've heard a horse. Right? You've heard that sound of a horse. That was used to describe people's actions in areas of fury and anger and outrage. This was not the flannel book, flannel board, flat paper Jesus that walks in and goes, there, there, let me comfort you. I'm troubled by what's going on. This was Jesus showing up and expressing something enormous. Something he was ticked off about. Something that made him furious. We have to ask, well, why was he mad? Who was he mad at? Surely he wasn't mad at Mary and Martha for mourning the loss of their brother, no. Surely he wasn't mad at, at the fact that, that he, he wasn't there to heal Lazarus, because we know from earlier in the story he had intentions to do something amazing. What could he be mad at? Well, he'd asked Mary, Martha earlier, do you believe... And he said, I'm the resurrection of life. Do you believe that? And she says, in the way she could, I believe you're the Christ. I believe you're the Son of God. He's angry at the fact that this death has torn apart this family. And they don't get who he is. They don't truly grasp that he is the resurrection of life. They don't know what that means yet. But he's mad because he's someone who steps into this place. He is God walking this earth. He has the power to change everything. Get it. He's not saying you shouldn't mourn because we know that that hurts. Jesus himself wept in this circumstance. These are people he loved. He was close to. Death hurts. Death is a loss that we can never take away. It's the, it's the sting of death that Jesus can take away through his power. Jesus expressed honest emotions in the midst of really difficult times of this family, and it was deep and it was profound. And it uses the same idea when he says he was deeply moved again when they were weeping and they led him to the tomb. Jesus works in concrete ways and he expresses honest emotions and he has authority over death. And that's a biggie. When it said he was deeply moved... And he went and told them to roll away the stone to the tomb. And he called in to Lazarus. He was basically not so much calling to Lazarus. He was speaking to death in the face. You have no control over this situation. I am changing the rules. I'm changing everything. Lazarus, get out here. He defied death. He has authority over death. That's an amazing, amazing thing to ponder. In some ways, we look at this story, and, and this is interesting because the series is about rolling away the stone, which is what happened at Easter, and this story happens on the road to Easter. This is a, a different stone being rolled away for Lazarus, one person who's being resurrected, who's almost being resuscitated. He's brought back, and he'll die again. There wasn't a promise he would live forever in this physical life. But we are foreshadowing what Jesus is going to do later. There, there's this sense of he did this for Lazarus, and he knows moving forward what's going to happen with him. 
changes everything. This was just a glimpse. He has authority over death. And the fourth thing we learn about Jesus, not just he has authority over death, but the flip side of that, he is life. What a great statement he gives to Martha. He says, you know, your brother will rise. He will live again. He goes, yeah, that'll happen at the end in the resurrection. Because she gave the, the common belief that at the end of time, God's people would be raised and they would live again. That was what they believed and they held on to that strongly. It was the common belief of the time of the Jewish people, except for a very small little sect. That's what they thought. At the end of time, that'll all be right. And Jesus says, I'm not talking about an event out there. I am the resurrection. I am life. And this is similar to some of Jesus' other I am statements in the book of John. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we look at that and go, truth is not a concept. Truth is a person. And here in this statement, we say, life is a person. The person of Jesus. He is the source of all life, the giver of all life, the sustainer of all life. He not only has authority over death, he is life. And that's just such an interesting thing to dwell in and ponder and contemplate. He is life. He he says, I'm not a bringer of resurrection. I'm not talking about a future event. I'm talking about now. I'm talking about who I am. I am the resurrection. Do we believe in something down the road in the future? Yes, but what do we believe about now? And how Jesus is at work now. He is life now. Now, in reality, we could look at these four things we learn about Jesus and relate them to just the straight-ahead flannel board story because they really give theological points. These are statements about the incarnation, meaning God became man and dwelt among us. The incarnation, he came and walked this earth and did concrete things. Yep, I believe that. He expresses honest emotions, more of this idea of what does it mean to be fully human and fully divine? What does that look like? Those are theological points we can bank on. He has authority over death. We absolutely believe that. That's the substance of our faith. He's the, he has authority over death, and he is life. The death and the resurrection. What happened in the past, what happens in the future, that's all wrapped up in who Jesus is, and we learn those four things in this very simple story. But our goal in reading scripture, our goal in knowing Jesus is to let the story, let Jesus off the flannel board and wildly involved in our lives. And so there are implications for these four truths we've looked at. In other words, we're asking the question, well, so what? So so what difference does this make to those who follow it? Well, first, I think what we just learned and the differences it makes is that Jesus brings power and confidence to life's struggles. Once again, we, we didn't read the whole story of John 11, and we just started where Jesus is getting close to town and, and Martha runs to see him. But the reality is, is these close friends of Jesus, they were in a tough place. Their brother, Lazarus, was sick. And it says they sent someone to tell Jesus. So we know this is a really close relationship because somehow, some way, they knew where Jesus was. Couldn't text him. Hey, Jesus, can you get here soon? Lazarus isn't doing well. 
And they sent a messenger to find him. And it was a few days away, at least one day full away and a day to get back. And, and they sent him, chances are that when Jesus heard Lazarus sick, Lazarus had already died by the, the timeline of what happens. And it says that Jesus kind of took his time to get there, which was a fascinating thing. And some of the disciples were like, well, why aren't you going sooner? We should leave. It's like, no, we'll finish this and then we'll move because you're going to see my glory in an amazing way. They didn't know what that meant. But this close, close relationship where people who were in one of the hardest struggles they're going to have sent for Jesus. They knew when he comes, something could happen. And we need to learn to live that way. You see, what I find interesting is that both Martha and Mary, when they had their interactions with Jesus and they first saw him, what did they say? It's like, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. If you had been here, I know things would have been different. And we all play that game when life goes south. We use the phrase, well, if only... If only I had made a different decision. If only I hadn't taken that job. If only I hadn't gone that day to that place. If only she hadn't stepped out in front of that car. If only she had lived a life that was healthier. If only, and we play that game all day. If only we did things differently, things would have gone better. And and Jesus invites himself. He wants us to invite him into those struggle of life, not playing the if only game, but because you're Jesus, because you have authority over death, because you are life, because you work in concrete ways, because you express honest emotions, because of who you are, I need you here in this place. And I need to seek how you bring confidence in a struggle. Notice we're not saying we learn from this that if we ask Jesus to raise someone from the dead, he will raise them from the dead. That's how Jesus chose to work in that moment, at that time, with that person. But his promise is to be with us in the struggle, and those close friends invited him. So Jesus, we need you here. Jesus brings power and confidence to life's struggles. Secondly, Jesus brings life where once there was only the prospect of death. He is life. He has authority over death. We, we saw that in who he is. But he brings life where there was once only the prospect of death. Think about this. Before Jesus, what was the end for everyone? Death. End of story. To be, to be a little crude, it's the license, it's the, it's the bumper sticker that says life's a bitch and then you die. The one who dies with the most toys wins. Death was the only logical end for everyone until Jesus. And Jesus brought life where all that existed before was death. Now, how should that change the way we approach life? When we call on Jesus and we ask the Holy Spirit to work with us and be with us in our struggles, he brings confidence and he brings growth and he brings maturity when we ask those things, those should look very different if we know death isn't the end. We know that Jesus absolutely brings life. It should change our perspective that death isn't the end of things. I would love to know the story of what it was like 
when Lazarus died the second time. Have you ever thought about that? Because he did. There was no promise that he did. We don't have any story of like Lazarus just walking off to heaven. He probably got sick or old and feeble. On his deathbed, what was that like that time? Knowing what Jesus was about. Knowing that death in a physical body now is not the end of the story. But really just the beginning. What does that look like? What did he go through? We don't know, but we we can guess. He probably wasn't very afraid. And I'm sure if Mary and Martha were still alive when he died, that they probably still mourned because they miss him. He was their brother. And death is that reminder that the world has fallen. But we have the hope in Jesus that defeats death, ultimately. That's a glorious thing. Jesus brings life where once there was only the prospect of death. Thirdly, why it's important to us is that Jesus teaches us to live expressively. What was he upset about again? He was, he was upset at death. He, he was upset at unbelief. And I think he wants us to live that way too. We know that he conquers death, and so we celebrate real life beyond the grave. But in the here and now, in the fallen world that we live in, we still grieve things. And it's okay to live that out loud. And he wants us to live exuberantly. If you watch Jesus' life, and we really look for it when we read the Gospels, we see that Jesus had a great sense of humor. Jesus lived large. When Jesus got angry like here, it was really angry. It was for a reason. Jesus could give the religious leaders of the day, he could zing them in ways that were amazing. You whitewashed sepulcher. You're a, you're a white-painted tombstone. And he had these great ways of expressing things. He lived large. And what's amazing is that Jesus asks us to live life to the full. That's a promise in Scripture. I have come that you would have life and you would have it to the full. You would have it abundantly. You would live fully understanding who I am. And then that infiltrate and impact every relationship. And everything you do. And every experience. That's the life he has called us to live. And it's It's huge. He teaches us it's not just okay to live expressively, but it's honoring him and following him for the model that he set on how to live. Well, what would that look like in our lives to live expressively? I think in, in that case, we need to, to really grasp onto what this next point ends, which is Jesus frees us to experience eternal life that begins now. He frees us to live that. Eternal life, contrary to Martha, is not something, well, someday Lazarus will be raised because that's the hope we have. And, and Jesus isn't saying that won't happen. Yes, that's true, and I'm here now. I titled this message, Jesus Now. Jesus Now. Living life to the full now. Following Jesus in a robust way that impacts everything we do and every relationship we have Now. Why? Because Jesus comes into our struggles. He comes into our life in a way to equip us that way, to empower us that way. And if we truly know who Jesus is that way, we welcome that opportunity. He frees us to experience eternal life that begins now. It's an amazing image. 
I love the phrase that, that talks about uh, that following Christ, that, that Jesus basically changed our lives to something beyond our imagination. He will give us more than we can imagine, and we have to figure out what that means. Because that doesn't mean I can imagine being a multimillionaire, and so God has to give me that. No, it's imagining the right things. A life transformed, a life that's fully alive in Christ. A life that's worshiping him in all of life, in the way we work, in the way we live in our family, in the way we interact with each other, in the way that we ask forgiveness, in the way that we confess sins to each other. All those kind of things are living life to the full. And they're an amazing way that Jesus has made it possible. The problem is, is that, at least in my life, my imagination of what God can do is nowhere near what he wants to do. Think about this story, right? Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. The other people standing around saying, hey, didn't he really love Lazarus? Don't you think if he's going to heal anybody, he'd heal him? Their imagination of what's possible was way too small. For them, imagination was God could heal him. Jesus' statement in here is, are you kidding? Watch what I do. We're not talking about a healing. Lazarus, come out. Whew, that is beyond imagination. I imagine says, well, if God really likes us and he's really powerful, he could heal him. But he chose not to. Our life in Christ, our living life to the full, our living with great expression of who God is in this world, who he is in our life, living that way is so limited by our imagination. And Jesus is so far beyond our imagination. How do we live that way? That eternal life begins now. That's that great statement again he gave to Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. Not past tense, not future tense, present tense. This is Jesus in the present tense. Life to be lived in the present tense. Right now based on a hope of the future, based on events and what Jesus did in the past, and at the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit now. It's Jesus now. Maybe my favorite verse in this entire passage is not when he says, Lazarus, come out, which he did, and it's interesting, it says, and the dead man came out, wrapped up in cloths around his face, tightly bound in the burial cloths, Right? That would have been hard for a healthy person to walk out of. He'd just come back from the dead. And it would have been easy, I would think, that Jesus could have done this miracle and all those things would have been left in the tomb. But he didn't. Lazarus came out still wrapped up. And Jesus said to them, the people, take off the grave clothes and let him go. That's my favorite part of this passage. Because in some ways we can hear that echoing in our own minds as we choose to follow Christ. As we respond to the call and the, and the, the Holy Spirit working in us and says, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the one. Do you trust in Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you want to follow Jesus? And you say, yes. And there's this picture of, so take off the grave clothes. Take those things off that are hindering you from walking and living. It's take off those grave clothes and live is really the way we understand it. And we have to ask ourselves, well, what are the grave clothes that are hindering me from living? Lots of things in life 
lots of things that, that if I were going to bear my soul to a bunch of strangers. See, these are things that have stopped me from knowing Christ in a deep, intimate way. There are things that get in the way. And I can say one right up front that I know gets in my way. And that's a sense of pride that I kind of know it all. And I think I'm really good at what I do. And, and I can get in the way of listening to great, insightful voices in my life, and I can dismiss them and say, well, I know. I know it's good for me. That might work for you. And so I'm denying these relationships that God has put in my life that can speak amazing truth and challenge me. Or I could say that times I've hurt people and lack of acknowledging that hurt and truly confessing and asking forgiveness. That's a hard, hard thing to do. But if I don't, I'm, I'm living life with grave clothes wrapped around me and I, I can't really live if I can only walk like this. I've got to take off those grave clothes and live. And the other thing I like about this is that Jesus allows us to be part of his work because he didn't say to Lazarus, hey, Lazarus, take off those grave clothes. He asked the people who were there. He said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. We have an opportunity to be involved in God's work. He's invited us into that. We look at these things, like the difference that it makes about is that Jesus brings power and confidence in life's struggles. He brings life where once there was only the prospect of death. He teaches us to live expressively. He frees us to experience eternal life that begins now. And he says, I want you to be part of that work. Not just in your own life, but in the life of you around you. As I like to say, following Christ is a community activity. We individually become part of the family. We choose to follow Christ. And as soon as we do, bam, we're in the middle of a group. We're in the middle of the body. We're in the middle of a local church. And Jesus commands throughout Scripture, about 40 times the Bible talks about do something for one another. Pray for one another. Bear one another's burdens care for one another, build each other up. The list goes on and on and on. Why? Because it's a community. Sometimes I don't even know I'm wearing grave clothes. I need you to say, you know, you, there's something that's hindering you, but, but I can only have that conversation if I know you, if we, if we know each other, if we live in community. Jesus says you're part of that work. Not just in the big things, but in the little things, in the relational things, in the day-to-day things, where Jesus wants to be absolutely present and active in our lives. And part of the way he does that is with each other. That's beautiful and scary. Because that means I have to be willing to pull away the grave clothes. I love this story. It gives both both the the future hope of the ultimate resurrection when the end of history as we know it happens and Jesus returns and the new heavens and the new earth are a reality. And I love the fact that Jesus said, you can start living that eternal life now. Life that goes on forever starts now. And it was a big picture of that with Lazarus. 
But the picture that's painted for us in the middle of that is enormous. I am the resurrection and the life. Not just out there someday, but right here, right now, in your life. And in my life. Great promise. But a great story that's way more than little flannel board Jesus and flannel board Lazarus. This is a multi-dimensional, multi-time and space story that's radical and transforming and powerful. Let's pray together. Father, I know there are grave clothes that I wear today. And there are things that hinder me from living expressively and living life to the full and truly having eternity now and Jesus now because I let those things get in the way. And Father, I'm sure if we went around the room, we could all identify things. And We ask that you help us be honest with ourselves and honest with each other about what that looks like and what it is that's hindering us and not in a place of shame or of guilt, but in a place of freedom that you offer. Lord, we're so grateful for your word. We're grateful for simple stories that are truly profound. We thank you that you are the one who has authority over death. We're grateful that you bring life today. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the people who have gone before us to live it out. We thank you for people in our, in our lives that we have known that have exemplified this way of living. Father, for those of us who may be afraid of living expressively for you and figuring out what that looks like, I pray that you give courage. You bring hope, that you bring friends, that you bring confidence that only you can bring to those struggles in life. We pray it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I just want to read for you a prayer from Ephesians chapter 1. It says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. The same power that raised Christ from the dead, the same power that raised Lazarus from the dead, gives you and me life now.